Wallace, my brother Joshua Wallace, yes, first year university student yes, at Ryerson, correct? Right, right. So can you talk to me a little bit about how that's been going for you? Yeah, well, I'm in my first year mm-hmm. of law school at uh, the Lincoln Alexander School of Law. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, been, it's been an amazing time so mm-hmm. far. Um, just a lot of different things on the go. Of course, first semester was very challenging, mm-hmm. um, a learning curve for sure. Lots of different experiences, meeting a lot of new professionals and people that have diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most importantly, uh, recently I had actually started uh, the co-founder of the Law and Policy Society okay. at my school. First? So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, really excited about that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can kind of you know begin to share what it means to be the significance of law to uh, our, our society and the people and how it influences people's lives. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, looking forward to a lot of things, but right now it's just my first year of law school and powering through that. Mm, I love that. And this is Ryerson's law school. This is their second year? Yeah. So it's, re- so it's relatively new. For sure, mm-hmm. yeah. So second year there, and of course, you know, being starting off at this school and being the second class to come in, mm-hmm. we're really uh, trying to trailblaze. Mm-hmm. And um, that starts with doing things like starting different societies and starting mm-hmm. clubs, and it starts with getting our names out there and. Um, speaking to different people in Toronto and this city about what it is that our law school stands for mm-hmm. um, and how we do things differently, but more importantly, you know how we're going to contribute to the legal community on a whole. So mm-hmm. I think right now the biggest thing is um, how do we, as a student body, you know, get out there and, and prove to the world that uh, not only do we belong, but we're going to change the society for the better. So that's kind mm-hmm. of what the, the vibe has been, and I'm thinking mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I love that. So <laughs> I spent time with you in university. We've been friends since grade 10 yeah, when yeah. you first started applying for law school was Ryerson at the top of your list of schools you wanted to go to when I first started applying to law school uh, Ryerson didn't exist mm-hmm. um, so I think there's a little bit of significance there when it comes to kind of you know being on your own path mm-hmm. and you know destiny in and of itself I think for me when I first started applying to law school my dream school was actually Osgoode Hall mm-hmm. um, that's the number one school in the country correct yeah I mean some people say Osgood some people say U of T mm-hmm. um, either way you go wherever you go in this country for a legal education it's gonna be stellar so mm-hmm. I think for me my dream was, was, was Osgood my older brother is actually currently there right mm-hmm. now as we speak yeah. Um, and yeah I think uh, Ryerson had come up during my master's program while I was at Ryerson correct, doing a yeah. master's degree in public policy administration and you did that right after university right, right after university mm-hmm. so there I got to learn a little bit more about what was starting at, at, at Ryerson, um, the law school that they were trying to put together there. And for me, it became very clear when it was time to apply and where I could see myself going to school and where I could make my name for, uh, name for myself, mm-hmm. that Ryerson was a perfect place for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you go by the name of Lincoln Alexander School of Law. And, mm-hmm. uh, of course, I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. So was the so when you finished university, like I've known you, I know you've, you've wanted to be a lawyer for a long time. When you finished university, you started applying to law school. Was the first thought, if I don't get in, I'm going to do this, or was was the master's even on the table in, say, third or fourth year, or was that something you did because, like, law school wasn't applicable in the first time around, and you're like, you know what, let me do something to further my education before I go to law school? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. So I think that from around first or second year of, of undergrad and my university career, I think law school was always going to be the vision. I knew that I was going to end up here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, knowing where you're gonna end up and knowing how you're gonna get there are two different things. Mm-hmm. So right. while I knew that I wanted to be a law student, um, I wasn't sure just how it was gonna happen. I remember uh, being around third or fourth year, mm-hmm. um, just when I was actually, I, was, I took my LSAT, my first time doing my LSAT. Mm-hmm. Um, I took it in the middle of my exam period. Mm-hmm. In third fourth, year. In fourth year. Fourth year, okay. So 
uh, at that point in time, of course, I had already submitted my application, so mm-hmm. my LSAT was on was on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had learned about, I guess, my, my, my entire degree was in criminal justice and public policy, mm-hmm. as well as political science, so I double majored while I was at the University of mm-hmm. Uh So for me, it was a very easy pivot when I thought about, you know, going to potentially a master's degree program. Mm-hmm. So I decided to apply to two different programs. I applied to the University of Toronto, the Monk School of Public Policy and Global Affairs. Okay. And then I also applied to the uh, Ryerson's uh, Public Policy Administration Program. Mm-hmm. So now my goal was always law school. So when I applied, I actually got into a master's program before any law schools. Okay. So that was when I decided that I figured I would try my hand at public policy, um, so a field that I was very interested in that I had you know, spent the last four years in mm-hmm. learning about. So I figured I'd want to get some real life experience. Mm-hmm. And I chose Ryerson's program over U of T, mm-hmm. uh, particularly because they could, I could do that program in one year, whereas U of T was a, a mandatory two year program. Okay. Um, so my goal was to do Ryerson's program for the first year mm-hmm. and then hopefully go to uh, law school the year after that. So it was an easy decision for me to choose, choose uh, Ryerson at the time. Okay, so so you said you did a master's in public policy at Ryerson before going to Ryerson and doing well studying a law degree. Yes. So would you say if you had not made that decision, the what you're going through now in law school would it be easier or harder? Well, I think it's it's it's, it's hard it's hard to to kind of put your hand on that, right? Mm-hmm. You gain so many different life experiences, and really and truly, I think. Uh, the life experience that we've had to this point, they, they prepare us for what we are to face next. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not, you know, getting a master's degree uh, prior to going to law school mm-hmm. really changed the outcome. I mm-hmm. think for me personally, getting a master's degree was one of the difference makers in my application. Okay, that's what I mean, yeah. Mainly mm-hmm. because I was very interested in that and I had done some really good work and I had gained some amazing experiences while at Ryerson, you know, including uh, going to the national public policy competition mm-hmm. uh, in Quebec City and performing very well there mm-hmm. um, and gaining a lot of different skills and competencies that I think make me a better professional on the whole. Okay. So what you realize when you start law school is that you're half student, half professional at the same time. Mm-hmm. Really and truly, you're more professional than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of getting those experiences have better prepared me to be a person that uh, can take on the challenge of school itself. Mm-hmm. But I, I, when I think about life on the whole, I, I, th- I, I don't ever think to myself, I am, you know, any less prepared for a situation because I had something, because I didn't have something. Mm-hmm. I always think that in this life, we have everything that we need mm-hmm. um, to, to succeed and to, to overcome. And, you know, when you do fall short, you have people like yourself, my mm-hmm. brothers, um, that have stepped in and supported me mentally mm-hmm. uh, throughout this entire school year. That's been really tough for me. So, mm-hmm. again, um, you don't think you have what you need or when you think you need a certain experience to get to the next point. Mm-hmm. I just think about taking that, that step of faith and knowing that, you know, you're positioned in the right place and that you have the right people around you to mm-hmm. support you along your way. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I want to take you I want to take you back to high school. So grade 10, when I met you for the first time. Yeah, new yeah. kid coming to school. Knew nobody. What were people calling me? William? As we're calling yeah, me William? I mean, they thought you were a race man. Still. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't have a name. I remember first, day, remember first time coming, the first day actually coming to school. And people asking me, yo, yo, who's this kid? I'm saying, yo, my name's Peter. Like, yo, this guy looks like William. Right, right. And all of a sudden, I'm going to the locker room. Yo, this guy looks like William. And I'm like, yo, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but the way people are laughing when they say William, it didn't really sound like it didn't really sound like a name I wanted to go by. So I wanted to go. So I wanted to go there. So grade ten. So your what was your what were you thinking in grade ten? Because I understand you were in cadets, correct? Right, right. So okay. So let's talk about that. Yeah, no, you you met me at a very interesting time in my life, man. I think uh, definitely William was actually one of my closest friends growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember he actually came to our school. I think I met him in middle school, grade around grade seven. Okay. So what you know about William is 
what why people why it was a kind of a joke to call you that is because William was a really lighthearted individual. Mm-hmm. So he was always laughing about something, always making a joke about something, finding himself in some type of trouble as I did myself. Uh-huh. So uh, I think what people remember him most for was his heart for the kind of person that he was, like, as caring as he, as he, as he was, and as, as soft-hearted as he was. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I mean, no slide on you for them calling you. No, no, of course time. not. Um, I, I was in, I mean, yeah, I was, I, I started Army Cadets when I was 12 years old. Okay. Um, so I was in uh, the 2824 uh, Cops uh, Regional, uh, Peel Regional, out of Peel Regional Police. Okay. Um, in Mississauga, and it covered Brampton, um, and kind of that Peel Regional area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started Cadets when I was, in you know, like, grade seven, um, it was there that I actually learned a lot about discipline, mm-hmm. um, about really putting my like, putting in my best effort, mm-hmm. um, about collaboration and working in teams with others. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a very a time a time in my life where I was in school, mm-hmm. but I actually had dreams and aspirations of first being in the military one day. So mm-hmm. I was able to go overseas with the Army Cadet program and learn a little bit more about what it means to be and train with different military forces across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that was amazing for me. Um, I was able to travel Canada. I went to BC and Alberta, and I did a lot of different challenging courses um, and training uh, in the field there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really realized, like out of out of that Toronto, out of you know, cadet, the cadet program in Mississauga, mm-hmm. a lot of people go straight from that into the the, the police force. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my goal was to be one day a part of a police service, um, specifically provincial police. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, at that point, my entire focus was there. I was gaining a lot of skills and trying to become the best person that I possibly could be to, you know, be part of my community and uh, work in a police service that I thought was making a difference. Mm-hmm. And when I got to grade 12, I remember um, taking a, a, a grade 12 class, uh, the law class. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the appeal mock trial with one of my closest friends, actually, Marlon Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, a great friend of mine, we both did the, the mock trial together and a few others. Mm-hmm. So that was a, mo- a momentous uh, time for me because I realized that I had a deep interest in, in law. Was that the first time you realized you had a deep interest in law? I think I had always kind of liked law, actually. The first time I liked law, or mm-hmm. that I realized I liked law, was when I watched a show called Jag. Um, do you know when that, like, how old you were when that I came was around? probably around seven years old. Seven, um, okay. So. so Jag actually kind of was a, fu- uh, a, a fusion of my dreams. Mm-hmm. Jag was about a military, uh, military lawyers. Okay. So they dealt with various issues in the military mm-hmm. and legal troubles that would come up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very it was really adventurous, uh, but it was really disciplined at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I grew up watching that show. Um, that's how I got into Army Cadets. That's I loved it that way as well. Mm-hmm. But then later on in my life, I realized that 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 love for law came back up when I was after school in grade twelve, uh, practicing with Marlon Moore mm-hmm. um, and Kiara and Rakaya, mm-hmm. um, a lot of my friends, and we were there training. And I think Ocean Miller was there as well. Mm-hmm. And we all decided to go. We did a really good job with the Peel Mock Trial. And mm-hmm. um, that was the moment that I had called my older brother Jonathan Wallace, who mm-hmm. was currently at the University of Guelph, mm-hmm. uh, playing basketball there. And I said, "Hey, I think I want to go to university, and I think I want to." Um, I think I want to be a lawyer. So, mm-hmm. and when I when I called him, I made that call. He said, "Well, we're gonna make it happen." And mm-hmm. I, I applied that year, and the rest the rest is history. Okay, so so I love that. So let's go into that. Let's talk about your family. So, your mom and your dad they are immigrants from Jamaica, correct? Yeah, yeah both of them from Jamaica. And you have is it four siblings, five siblings? I yeah, I have I have five siblings. So there's five six siblings. of us in total. Okay. Yeah. So your mom and your dad, what did they? Do you know their story of how they came to Canada and what they did or what they're currently doing when they're here to provide for? you know, the big family that you guys have? Yeah, I mean, I, I come from a family of, of hard workers, of grinders. I mean, 
Oh, when I speak about my family, I speak about them in, of course, the, the highest regard at all times. Um, my, both my parents came from Jamaica when they were around 16, 17 years old and mm-hmm. met shortly thereafter. Were they together at that time? No, they weren't. They okay. were separate at the time. Oh, okay. Um, and they met here, actually, in this in this city. So, oh, okay. Uh, interesting story there, but I think the biggest thing is that, you know, they both come from, you know, really hard upbringings um, where they didn't always have it all. Mm-hmm. Um, they know what it means to not to be without, mm-hmm. and I think seeing my parents and kind of learn and being able to draw from that experience and seeing how hard they work. My dad's a blue collar worker. Mm-hmm. My mom was always, was, was growing up as a PSW. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've watched my mom, you know, pull double shifts. I've watched my dad get up early mornings, uh, three, four o'clock to go to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from a very young age, hard work was instilled in us. And then it was like, you know, I didn't have to look far. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I have three older brothers to look to, to see what it means to really put your best foot forward. And mm-hmm. then I realized really quickly I had to be an example. I have two younger siblings, so mm-hmm. they were also looking right uh, right up to me. So I think um, I could probably go through one by one and try to tell you about what we're all doing. But mm-hmm. I think it's 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 in the Wallace family's blood to to be great, to want to accomplish amazing things, and to not ever uh, settle for less because we didn't watch our parents uh, give us any less than what they could. Mm-hmm. And is your oldest brother is a police officer, correct? So my. My oldest brother is Jermaine. Mm-hmm. He actually he's working in finance with TD Bank. Okay. Uh, my second oldest brother is Jamie. Mm-hmm. He's a Peer Regional Police Officer. Mm-hmm. Then Jonathan, who's currently in law school uh, at Osgoode, mm-hmm. finishing his last year. Mm-hmm. Then there's me, and then there's Jesse, who's also a police officer. He's my mm-hmm. younger brother. And my little sister t- decided to take a little bit of a different uh, turn, mm-hmm. and she's uh, currently doing film. Uh, at Guelph Humber, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you'll find her doing a lot of different, uh, a lot of work in the community as well as, uh, yeah, I, I, the different projects, and um, she loves, she just loves film, and she loves mm-hmm. being part of that uh, the industry. Okay, I love that. So, you would say, well, I would say, hearing that, it sounds like policing is something that is prominent in your family, as far as your siblings are concerned. So, when you went into cadets, was Jamie somebody you really looked up to? when you were going through that? Like, did you want to become a police officer at the time because Jamie was a police officer? Well, yeah, I mean, of course, I, I think, um, although Jamie was not the closest in age to me, like, he's naturally a, born, a natural born leader. So mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see what he's doing. You're going to want to be more like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very infectious person. So when I saw him and what he was doing, it was very easy for me to decide, like, oh, I could join cadets too. Mm-hmm. When I saw how cadets had transformed his life and made him a person that I looked up to, mm-hmm. uh, it was an immediate decision for me. Um, when I joined cadets, actually, he was the leader of my regiment, so he was a regimental sergeant major. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched him you know, lead over 300 cadets mm-hmm. uh, for what was around two years before he had finally graduated and became a police officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I watched him do the work that he did and, and how, how he cared for people, the kind of leader that he, that he became, how people revered him, Mm-hmm. Uh, and they revered him, not because he was a bully, not because he was mean. They revered him because of the work that they've seen him put in. Mm-hmm. And they revered him because of the type of individual that he was, that they knew that he was disciplined, they knew that he cared about other people. Mm-hmm. And I think I always wanted to be a, a lot more like that. So uh, that's kind of why I wanted to be a police officer, followed his footsteps. And um, yeah, I think I, I joined Cadets and that kind of changed the, the direction of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, as a young kid growing up in Malton, mm-hmm. you know, joining the cadet program, it shows you a completely new side of life, mm-hmm. you know, where you meet new people and mm-hmm. uh, one you meet day, a lot of your friends in cadets. You say, oh, a ton of my friends. I have I have friends till this day that I met in cadets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So then let's let's go to university. So you said, grade twelve law. That's when you realized you wanted to study law and become a lawyer. Your right. older brother's at Guelph, so that's 
somebody that you look up to that somebody you've obviously been friends with for a long time outside of just being family right. and you said he was going to help you set that up so how did that how did you transition from grade 12 to now applying to university and was golf the only school on your list because your brother was there no so i actually applied to multiple different schools so i knew that i wanted to do something regarding criminology mm-hmm. at the time i wanted to keep the door open for going to policing so i decided to look at a very similar uh, think criminal justice programs across mm-hmm. the country so i applied to uh windsor i applied to York, Guelph, and I think it was one other school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I always had good grades in school. Yeah. Uh, so it was a very easy decision for me to decide that I wanted to go to university. It was mm-hmm. just a matter of when I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think applications are due in like somewhere around December. Mm-hmm. So it was easier for me. I think I just kind of woke up one day, decided I was going to put an application. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had to write maybe some cover letters for some schools, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I just knew that having him there at the University of Guelph mm-hmm. was really easy mm-hmm. to just decide like I want to be near my family near my brothers mm-hmm. I like to keep the family close um, and so for me it was like once he was there at school mm-hmm. I just knew that if there's any school I wanted to go to in this country was going to be there mm-hmm. so is was university something that was saying new to your family because you're saying your parents came from Jamaica they were blue collar workers how many if you know members of your family had gone to university before you and your brother no no yeah so no, we're all we're all first generation okay right like mm-hmm. All of us have, uh, for the first time, I know my mom had gone to college, um, but yeah, in terms of university, we're all the first, we're all the first ones to go. Okay, okay, sounds good. So, so we're going to Guelph, your first year, so do you remember what it felt like when you got that acceptance letter? Honestly, <laughs> it's such a long time ago, but I remember mm-hmm. when I got that letter, thinking to myself, okay, I know what that next step is going to be, mm-hmm. you know? I think in life, a lot of times people they feel to be in this this limbo where they don't know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. You know, um, It's hard to be in a place where you don't know what you're going to do next. Mm-hmm. It's hard to live with purpose each and every day when you don't know what's going to happen next in your life. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, you know, being in high school, knowing that I was going to university gave me a little more purpose, gave me something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Being in university, knowing that I wanted to go to law school, mm-hmm. gave me a certain drive when I was in school. It allowed me to, to approach every single day with a vision in mind. Mm-hmm. What did I want to accomplish that day? What did I want to accomplish that month, that mm-hmm. year? And then, being in a master's program, knowing that, in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. yeah, I like this place, yeah, I like the work that I'm learning, mm-hmm. but law is where my heart is. Mm-hmm. That gave me another drive that year. Mm-hmm. And I realized that every single year, I've lived with purpose for that very reason. Mm-hmm. I've lived with purpose, purpose in the moment mm-hmm. for what I knew I wanted to come in the future. That's what I think this life is about. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think I felt amazing then, I felt amazing when I was in my fourth year and after I learned that I was going to be doing a master's program. Mm-hmm. I felt amazing when I was working uh, with the Ministry of Children, Community, and Social Services, the policy advisor, mm-hmm. and I got the letter telling me that the next year I was going to be in law school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at every step of the way, I think I've been able to find drive, been able to find purpose, and uh, I, the feeling is the same as now because now I'm living in what appears to be my dream. Mm-hmm. But I also have next steps that I want to accomplish too, so uh, it, every day is purposeful. And uh, part of my next steps is doing things like this with you, mm-hmm. where I get to kind of share my story mm-hmm. and tell other people about what it is that I've experienced in this life and that they can also accomplish the things that I have, or whatever it is they want to, mm-hmm. if they live with that same purpose. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I, w- so I want to paint a picture. So you come from a big family, um, immigrant parents, first generation university. So university wasn't something that was common in your family. And then I want to go to the community that we, me and you come from, Malton, was that, did you see or did you have any 
models outside of say your older brother that was already at university that you could look at in the community and say you know this is something i see myself doing or even if we look at high school was university something that a lot of students were talking about at the time at going to or was that something that was kind of like you didn't know if people were going to school or they, or they were yeah i mean when you, when you so malton a lot of people don't really know where malton is mm -hmm. so I, I i find myself having to tell people that it's not milton mm -hmm. it's with an eye mm -hmm. I'm, I'm from malton you know, uh, some people call it MA, other people call it the Ave, some people call it Money Ave. That's where I'm from. Uh, uh -huh. I, I cherish every experience that I had while I was there. Uh -huh. um, Malton is a, is, a, is a little neighborhood of working class, hard working class people just outside uh, of Toronto Pearson Airport. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just in that general area there. It borders Brampton, it borders Toronto, Rexdale, mm -hmm. Etobicoke area. Um, and it uh, and it, then it borders at northern Mississauga, so mm -hmm. it's right in that little hub there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you have a ton of you know character there in Malton. Like I, I, I can't imagine growing up somewhere else with the multiculturalism, mm -hmm. um, with the people that really over the years like grinded and did things. Uh, and and then it's like the, the the hard experiences too. I watched a lot of people really what I call you know get it out the mud, mm -hmm. start with nothing and build something. Mm -hmm. You know I have friends like Vishwas Graywall, for example, mm -hmm. um, that started off in the same classes that I am, and now he's an, an accountant, mm -hmm. and he's been uh, working with in, in various real estate industries and trying to really build his portfolio. So mm -hmm. to me, I mean, when I say I'm from Malton, I say that with pride. Mm -hmm. When I say I'm from Malton, I say that there's a lot of culture and, uh, and, and, and a vibe there that you can't really get anywhere else, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so definitely a place that has character. Um, and, you know, in terms of university, I think in Malton, I saw a lot of people that had different visions for life, mm -hmm. you know, what they wanted to do after school. Not everyone wants to go to university, and I keep telling people every day, mm -hmm. it's not about going to school. Mm -hmm. It's about doing something that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And then, it's about really knowing, like, beyond just doing something that you care and you're passionate about, mm -hmm. what's the next step, you know? Like, think beyond, because I think the people that do the, the most amazing things in life is, mm -hmm. for example, if I like basketball, and all I ever did was play basketball in my community mm -hmm. with my friends. I would live a, full, a fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. But if I like basketball, I thought to myself, maybe I want to take it a little further. And I'll go to a, I'll go to D one, and I'll go to a college, and I'll go play basketball there, and explore what my talents can do for me beyond just my passion for the sport, mm -hmm. while still enjoying what my passion is. Mm -hmm. Then I might be in university, and I might have a great time there, and I go, man. I really like this. I'm actually getting an education while I play a sport that I love. But then if I think beyond it, I go, okay, maybe some people might go to the NBA. But statistics show that only a very small percentage of people actually get to the NBA and do basketball for the rest of their lives. So maybe I think about the passion about basketball itself, and I go, wow, maybe I could be a business person one day. Maybe I can, I can work for, uh, for a Raptors team in, in scouting or work for a team and in, 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 in actually make major decisions as a general manager. So there's different ways to be around sports and do what you're passionate about. I think that coming from Malton, I met a ton of people that were passionate about amazing things. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm most happy about is to see that I might have chosen university. University is how I could get to my passion, which was law school. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So, 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 yeah. so, let's, so let's, let's go first to university. So you get accepted into Guelph. Uh, I know the story. I want you to tell the story. Did you live on res uh, the first couple of weeks when you got into Guelph or how did that, how did that go? Yeah, a lot of people don't, don't know this about me, actually. So when I first got to Guelph, uh -huh. I, so right before I went to Guelph, I was doing the basic military parachuting course 
So you were still Army in cadets. cadets. Okay. I was still Army Cadets. Mm-hmm. So I actually had missed the sign up for residence. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So I started off in the first two months of university. Mm-hmm. I lived on my older brother's couch. Uh-huh. So I wrote my first midterm exams on my brother's couch. I wrote mm-hmm. my first assignments um, sleeping on his couch the entire mm-hmm. time. And uh, that was a lot of character building for me then as well. And, mm-hmm. and then I finally was able to move on to res maybe, I want to say, uh, just after uh, Thanksgiving or just after Halloween, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Okay. And then how was that experience? Now, because, wait, did you have a job in your first year? Oh, was I working on campus? Were you working on campus? So it was just school and res. So how was was balancing that life? Coming from, you know, me and you both living at home, having mom, dad, you know, food is taken care of, such things are taken care of. When you move out of the home, now things are a little bit different. Food is on you. Uh, Cleaning is on you. Like certain things that you may not have had to worry about when you're at home, those roles are now things you're responsible for. How was the adjustment period? And how did you find from the beginning of first year till the end of first year? It literally was easy. So I, I, I was, I, I always would go away for army cadets, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go away for army cadets, I used to be, I was used to going away for two, for two months at a time, mm-hmm. um, and doing far more challenging things and getting to live uh, in a, in pretty much, I was in like the condo residences and east residence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gulf is an amazing place to go to, guys. If you guys are considering university to go to, I definitely recommend the University of Guelph and the community there. Uh, it's really supportive of students. I think, man, I, I, it was really easy for me to simulate when I, once I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was just kind of like rising to the challenge. Um, I think I don't think university is necessarily a difficult place to be in terms of accomplishing, you know, you know, just getting by and completing uh, what's the school requirements. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's it, it can be it takes a level of focus uh, to do well. Mm-hmm. So I think for my first year of university. I'm not sure if I had that entire focus that I wanted to have mm-hmm. it, but I, uh, by the end of the year, um, I had a 78 average. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, I spent probably a third of my time on school. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's just bump that up a little notch and see if I can get to the 80. Mm-hmm. I, I, a third of my time on school, and I got a 78 average. I need two more to get on the dean's list. Mm-hmm. I'm like, at the time, I was really satisfied to be on the dean's list. This is, of course, before I knew how challenging it would be to get to law school, the average you needed. Yeah. So from that, from that year on, I thought to myself, I was able to master being a res and meeting new people, and I've always been a very personal per- person. I think that's what my real skill is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I decided to just work a little bit harder and, and, and apply some more focus to, to what my dreams were. And then things got more challenging in second year. You moved out of res. Uh, did you get a job in second year? Yeah. So mm-hmm. in second year, mm-hmm. I started working as the uh, the manager of basketball operations for okay. the men's basketball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the time, I was working with Chris Oric. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to him. He's an amazing coach. Um, and an even better person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working with him on his staff. So I was going to the practices. I was traveling on the road with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I was assisting them with, with film um, and a lot of different duties with the team at the time. So I think that I was really getting to learn about personnel um, and different personalities and how to really work to, with a, a group of people towards one common goal. Mm-hmm. You know, in basketball, the main goal is to win. You know, mm-hmm. And each game, you have to get better. And you might have had a good game the day before. Mm-hmm. But that game's over now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now you have next week with a new opponent and you have to get better in order to beat that opponent. So it was one of those it was it was one of those times where I really learned about uh, in life going back to the draw the drawing board. That that for me was those three years that I was manager of the basketball team at Guelph was when I learned mm-hmm. the drawing board is what it's all about, right? Mm-hmm. You can have a bad quarter in basketball and come out and at that timeout, the coach comes back and every single time he has the clipboard. Right? Mm-hmm. No matter how the last play, how bad the last play went, 
matter how good the last play went, it's all about the next play. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I took that with me, man. Like going forward, I was always just like, all right, cool. I got a 90 on this test. Next play. How do I get a 95? How do I get a 98? How do I get 100%? Mm-hmm. Or, all right, cool. I got into a master's program. Now, how do I get into law school? You know? Mm-hmm. All right. Like, I, I think that when you take that approach to life, where it's just like, next play. Yeah, you can be happy. Enjoy the moment. Take the, the, the learning lessons that you had from the play before. Mm-hmm. Go back to the drawing board. Draw it up again differently. Don't be afraid to start over again. Don't be afraid to look at things a little bit differently than you looked at them before. You know? Take your mind and transform it every single time. Mm-hmm. And when you go back to the drawing board, come back to something a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, so let's talk about... So I moved in with you second year. So we, we lived together. We had quite an interesting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember what that was like? Because I remember what that was like. Because I, I had just gotten into Guelph and um, I got like with the soccer team. And I, I love this story so much because I didn't even know if I was getting to Guelph. Yeah, and I yeah. signed the lease as if I would. And we took the whole picture, <laughs> the roommates and everybody in front of the table. And then, you know, time came and I moved in. And I'm thinking, like, you know, you were somebody, obviously, that helped a lot because I was going to, I was my first year. You were yeah, in, yeah. you were going to third third year, correct? Third year. Yeah. Third year. So, two-year gap. So, I needed a lot of help in terms of kind of being able to maneuver because you being, like, managing the basketball team. So, time was taken away from you and yeah. having to study for the courses that you had. And then me coming in and playing soccer and then having to do similar things, having to worry about courses. That was something I looked at a lot. Now, I want to look, I want to look at mainly, say, the challenge of, challenges of having to balance that time because when I first came in I had no idea how to balance that time how long would you say it took for you to learn and yeah just kind of have have talk about that I mean I'm still learning now mm-hmm. right like I, I it's just you, you have a vibe you, you you go through this life you hope to different different paths and sometimes like to my point earlier some things work in certain certain journeys in certain parts of your life and then you got to switch it up again so I think for me at the time, it was really, it took a lot. It took a lot of planning, scheduling. I think you say those things kind of like lightly, but they, they count for something. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I saw you coming in, um, and I saw you have a lot of the habits that I had to work tirelessly to get rid of. Mm-hmm. You know, you used to watch shows late at night. Oh, these suits, don't get I started. Lived, I, I lived right underneath, uh, Peter, pause. I lived underneath. <laughs> <laughs> I lived on the floor beneath you, and uh, that was crazy. And I think the whole time um, I would hear his TV shows upstairs the whole time. One night I woke up at like three a.m. in the morning. I'm like, "What is this guy watching?" It sounded like what's that movie called? Like Jumanji or something like that. Uh, it sounded crazy. Yeah, uh, it was one of those. It was on Netflix, man. No, oh, he's the guy that used to watch shows late. Um, Get up, get up at twelve o'clock. And go to practice, or uh, if he was up before twelve, it's because he had practice. Fact. So it was one of those ones where I used to just see him living in life, and I was just like, "Yo, how is this guy doing this right now?" Like I used to be like, sometimes I go to his room, like, "Yo, I need to talk to you, fam," because what you're going on with right now is not gonna work. Um, <laughs> but I think that it was just a little bit of like trial and error, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So some once I had I had uh, no four semesters before you got to school. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of those semesters, I figured out, you know, the classes. That I, that I had to focus on the level that was required of it. And, and I learned a little bit more about like hey like what kind of works in my day when can I make it to the gym when do I study best mm-hmm. when do I learn best so I think in those periods of times what I learned was actually how to maximize productivity mm-hmm. right you're not going to have it every single day you wake up mm-hmm. 
it's not going to be the same thing every day. It's not every day that I wake up that I'm just going to be the guy that's up by 6, that's work, that's working out by 6.30, that's back home, showered, and ready to go and start in class at 9. Hey, some days you're going to wake up at 8 o'clock. You're not going to have it. You're going to go back to sleep. You're going to get back up at 10. Mm-hmm. So what I thought to myself was, how do you take pockets of time like throughout the day, throughout the week, and take those pockets and maximize your potential at every step of the way. So I had those periods where I realized like, okay, some days I'd be on campus and I'd have class at 11 and my next class wouldn't be till four o'clock. And I would think to myself, you know what? This is midday. Have a quick meal at 11. And from 12 to four, drop your phone, drop everything else and maximize your, the readings you can do for the week, um, the, th- the work you can catch up on assignments you can write. Mm. Um, and then I thought to myself, okay, when it's time to go to the gym, how do I take that 45-minute pocket in that day and maximize the potential of that gym that day? So I think the real lesson there was not necessarily that you had bad habits. We all have bad habits. It's about how do you take the vices that you have, right, and mitigate them through maximizing your potential in other areas of your life when you can. So if there's a day that I've woken up late, and, it, and also I think what I learned then and what I'm learning now is called the art of salvaging the day. You know, mm-hmm. salvage the day. Now, what does that mean for me? I might get up, and I'm in law school. Some days, like, like I said, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. You know, you do, you're, you're mentally, you're not there. Physically, you're not there. So if I have a bad morning, and what I consider a bad morning for me is I'm up sometime after nine. Um, I haven't done really done much of my day. I haven't picked up a book. I haven't read anything. I didn't eat a proper breakfast or or workout. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me when I say when I think about salvaging the day is how do I take a bad, what could have been a bad day or a bad morning and turn it into a good afternoon? You know, my brother always says, like, don't let a bad day turn into a bad week. Don't let a bad week turn into a bad month. Mm-hmm. And don't you dare let a bad month turn into a bad year. So if you can start that with just your day, you know, just finding a way to feel, okay, I didn't do the best that I could do this morning. But now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back with a vengeance at my day and do something better with it. This afternoon is going to be better. This evening is going to be better. I'm going to do something that makes my day worthwhile again. And some days, the art of salvaging the day is, if I've had a bad day from 9 a.m. in the morning till 6, if there's one thing I'm going to do tonight, it's go to sleep on time so I'm rested for the next day. Mm-hmm. That's how I turn, a, I, I turn a bad day not into a bad week. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the little things like that where you go, don't beat upon yourself. Don't, don't get down on people around you. Don't, don't text your, your significant other and start a fight with them because you're having a bad day. How about you salvage that day and do the best you can for the afternoon, the best you can for the rest of the week. So um, I'm, still, I'm still mastering that art right now, and I, I just hope that more people would, would get a hold of that and what that means mm-hmm. to them, whatever it means. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so learning, learning all that, it wasn't always like that with you, would you say? So basically what I'm trying to get at because you know, uh, a major topic right now is health, whether it's physical health, mental health, so on and so right. forth. So what I'm wondering is, because it's definitely something that I struggled with in university because when you, when you spend time on one thing, you're sacrificing spending time on another. You, yeah. There's only so many hours in a day. I can't tackle this, 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 and this and be good at all of those things. So right. were there periods in university where that was something you struggled with where you might have either struggled whether physical health, mental health, and like how, how did that feel for you mentally? Because it's one thing to see 
like me seeing it and you seeing it with me, but it's another thing. I'm not in your head, so I don't know what that conversation is like. So kind of explain to me, like, was that something you struggled with? And then how would, how did that feel for you in the moment? Not looking forward because especially when you're in it, it's a lot harder to look to the next day and say, you know, the next day is going to be better when today is going the way today is going. Yeah, I know, man. Like, so I'm, I'm still, I'm battling that now as well. I think that that's why this, this conversation is so timely, right? We're coming out of a pandemic or people have spent the last two years really going through a traumatic experience with not being able to see their loved ones and spending many days at home alone, not being able to go to the gym and work out, um, you know, having to wait in lines to get groceries or being stressed out to go get food. And a lot of little things that like, I think we don't think about every single day, people really had to think about over the last two years. So I guess what I'll say to that point is this, like for me, I've had moments in my, my university career where I've put on 40 pounds, mm-hmm. you know? You know, you get a hold of the dream. And at the time, my dream, of course, was law school. I gotta get there, I gotta get there. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. If it means, and I was working at the time as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if it means I don't make it to the gym for the next a month or so, that's what it means, mm-hmm. you know? I really thought that that was okay. I thought that, that was like how everyone lived life, mm-hmm. you know? You put everything aside, you drop everything to accomplish one goal. Mm-hmm. What I realized about life is that the true, the true value of life is balance. The true ba- the value of life is is working some days, but then spending quality time with your family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's being able to have pizza some nights, but then being also able to go to the gym and learn more about your body as you work out and you train and you get better. Mm-hmm. So, I've really learned over the years that you get better at other things. You value things more when you're more balanced. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't. I can't value my family if all I ever care about is going to work. You start to lose. You start to things start to lose their value around you. I think the most important thing that I learned was, how do I uh, look at my life through the lens of I care. You know, mm-hmm. I care about working out, but I also care about doing well in school. I care about getting a job, but I also care about making sure that the people around me feel loved and feel my presence. And I check in on people and I call people. So I think what I've tried to do is look at how you can one balance your days. You know, balance your mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, I start my mornings off. Generally speaking. I try to start my morning off with a glass of water, um, a prayer. Mm-hmm. I always pray, read my Bible in the mornings, just to kind of like get that that sense of gratefulness for me. And then I always, um, I go from right there into do, doing a little bit of stretching and some yoga. And I think that's a really balanced way to start my morning. And I can maybe start doing reading or something, or if I can, make it to the gym before mm-hmm. classes start. So that's a balanced morning. And then in the afternoon, I find time to eat the quality food. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and at the same time, find time to do some quality work. You start to realize that eating quality food helps your brain, you know, get the, the nutrients that it needs for you to do quality work. Mm-hmm. And then exercising allows your brain to put together new, the new neurons and connecting. And you can really begin to, to maximize your potential, as I've been saying over and over again. So people that maximize their potential in this life are balanced people. Mm-hmm. Not people that drop every single thing that they're doing around them for one goal. So if your goal is to be a person that works out really well, well then what you really quickly start to learn is that even if you want to run every day like you do, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you have to do to be able to run every day? Yeah. You actually have to read and learn more about what it means to work out. Mm-hmm. The skills you need, the competencies you need so that you don't get injuries, so that you can actually become faster or run longer distances. These are things that you actually have to study and learn about. Mm-hmm. So even you have become more of a balanced individual when your real goal in life was one thing. So I say, like, whatever your one goal in life is, right, find a way to balance your life around it so that the things that you do on a daily basis 
actually help propel you and give you momentum towards that goal. So don't do things where you drop everything else in your life because one day, if you drop everything else in your life for that one goal, when you finally get to that goal, you will have to drop that goal for everything else. So right now I'm realizing that I've gotten to law school and I don't have to drop law school to work out because now I've found a way to get two to three workouts in per week. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to drop law school to go see my niece and nephew. I was able to accomplish something where they could come over and actually see me some weekends or over the Christmas break they spent three to four days with me. These are the things that I think matter in this life. So building a balanced life around the goals that you have um, and never forgetting that that's what truly matters. Mm-hmm. So then, so talking about balance, because I also feel that's a pretty popular topic. Do you think it's possible to be balanced when you're trying to be great? I think the only way to be great is to be balanced. You think so? Yeah. That's, that's the only way you do it, right? If you, if you want to if you wanna be the fastest runner in the world, what do you quickly learn that you have to do? Recovery. Mm-hmm. But I mean balance as a whole, like as an individual. So, you know, we're talking about spending time with family, being able to do this, being able to do that. But when you hear people talk about greatness, there's like an obsession where, you know, it's a single-minded focus on this particular skill or this particular art. So, like I said, like if I spend time on one, if I spend a lot of time on one thing, I automatically neglect a bunch of other things. So that's what I mean when I say balance. Like, is it possible to be balanced when you're trying to be great? Yeah, I mean, so I don't want to mislead you guys. <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm seeing you today for the first time in maybe two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, there were times where I've, I've gone months without seeing my friends. Uh, I've, I've had to sometimes miss parties. There was a point in my life where I was literally getting up um, at 6 a.m. in the morning. I was studying for my LSAT from 6 to 9. At 9 a.m. in the morning, I would then go for a run. Now, generally speaking, I'd have my emails rolling in. I was working for the government at the time, but I was working from home. Mm-hmm. So I'd have my emails rolling in at around 9. I'd be looking at them, but like wincing and looking away. I'd go for a run. I'd get back at 9.30. I'd work from 9.30 to 5. At 5, I would get ready and head de- downtown mm-hmm. with, my, with, my, with my tutor for my LSAT once again. Mm-hmm. And I'd study from 6 to 9 with my tutor. Mm-hmm. And... Then I would stay an additional two hours because at the time it was in the middle of the pandemic and we didn't have anywhere else to study. Mm-hmm. I would then stay an additional one to two hours from nine to 10 or nine to 11 to put in my own study on my own. I would get home by around 11.30. I'd go to sleep and I'll start all over again at night mm-hmm. or 6 a.m. in the morning, sorry. I did this for around, I wanna say the better part of four months to six months. Nothing else mattered to me but getting into law school. Nothing else matters to me but accomplishing the goal that I had. Now, whether you can say that I'm great now or that I'm not great, I think that's subjective. You know, what makes what, what makes Kobe great? Well, I think everyone can recognize his greatness, right? When he hits that last that last buzzer beater shot, that's Kobe's better buzzer beater. That's everyone's buzzer beater. Mm-hmm. But no one sees the dad that goes to work every day or the mother that that goes to work every day and comes home and her buzzer beater that night was was being able to sit down and calm her child's fever. No one sees that buzzer beater. So I think there's this obsession with like being great, but that's greatness in the eyes of others. I think you could really have greatness in your own life. And it's like, I grew up thinking my mom was the greatest individual I ever saw. And I loved Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant's my favorite player ever. Mm-hmm. My mom to me was greater than he ever was. So I think there's this idea that you need to be obsessed with something to be great at it. And I think that's true, you do. But I think at the same time, you gotta take a step take a step back and look around and you go, I think what Kobe impressed upon all of us, you know, God rest his soul, 
I think what Kobe impressed upon all of us was not just how great at basketball he was, but how much he loved his family, how much he loved Gigi, how much he really was taking that time and saying, now that I'm done playing the sport, I can focus entirely on my family. Not that he wasn't focusing on them before. Mm -hmm. So I think that people need to begin to rethink really what it means to be great and redefine these things. And through redefining what it means to be great, you can build a life again that's balanced, the life that you want to live. Mm -hmm. So that's that's my that's my take on, 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 on greatness in and of itself. And I really think that you can be focused on other things at the same time. And uh, obsession, I don't think obsession, a sacrifice is important. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that comes through obsession, but I don't think that this is absolutely necessary mm -hmm. to, 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 to accomplish that. So Kobe was obviously an influence of yours. Can you tell me how big of an influence he was on your life? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> Kobe was so important to me that I think, so when I was growing up, my bedtime was 9 o'clock. It's kind of funny now that I think about it, because I used to argue with my dad about my bedtime mm -hmm. all the time. Well, I argued with my dad about my bedtime because the Lakers games came on at 10 o'clock or 10.30. Mm -hmm. West Coast. West Coast. Mm -hmm. So I, I like Kobe so much that despite the discipline that I knew would come to me if I got caught, I would be sneaking out of my room sometimes at night to go find Jonathan because he would have a laptop and he was streaming the games or downstairs to TV mm -hmm. to watch Kobe play. Um, I think for me, Kobe was about... I think what everyone remembers him for is the Mambo mentality, mm -hmm. you know? That kind of, that switch that he had where everything in that moment was goal-driven, goal-oriented. Um, I think that the mom mentality was really about how to approach a day, how to approach a passion that you had. Mm -hmm. You know, the focus that it take in terms of training, in terms of development, mm -hmm. in terms of going back to the drawing board, as I said before. So I think that for me, Kobe Bryant was really about focus. He was about like really being a, a, a lion at heart, mm -hmm. which is someone that could strike at any moment, and someone that was really like would would give up anything really to get to where he wanted to go. Um, in terms of, of himself, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of places that we want to go to get to in life, it takes us giving up a piece of ourselves to get to it. Mm -hmm. So for some of us, I, I think my, a big piece of, for me has been like, I really like to get up some days and kind of just like go for a walk or something like that mm -hmm. and, and like do nothing else. And I find that some mornings like I will get up and I'll want to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, okay, you can go for this walk, but at the same time, you have a moot at 9 o'clock, or you have this meeting at 9, or you have this class at 9, and you stayed up late the night before, and I can give up a piece of myself that way, mm -hmm. but I think that later on that day, I make up for, or later on that week, I'll be like, okay, you know what, let me, let me take a piece of that back. So I think, in terms of sacrifice, mm -hmm. Kobe really taught me what it meant to, like, get up at, well, his schedule was, of course, as you know, waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning, getting his first workout, mm -hmm. a second workout by 9 o'clock, and a third workout by the evening, so I think seeing him kind of do those things over and over again, I learned that in order to be great at anything, you have to do things consistently, mm -hmm. you have to do things with focus, and you have to do things with momentum and drive. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's finding a way to approach every day with a little bit more focus, mm -hmm. approach every week with a little bit more consistency than I had before, and then take all of that and turn that into momentum. And think the beautiful thing about momentum for me is, momentum is not necessarily about you know, what you did in the moment. So what you did before. Mm -hmm. Momentum is what carries you after you stopped, right? Like let's say I, I was running and I ended up going through this glass mm -hmm. and I tried my best to stop before I got to this glass. Well you'd say my momentum took me through the glass despite the fact that I tried to stop. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes when you create enough momentum in your life, where it's like you one thing goes right and then the next thing goes right, and then you're like, oh, I could do that too, and you start, and before you know it, it's like you're just being carried mm-hmm. with the wind, mm-hmm. and you're just accomplishing these things over and over and over again. Kobe won championships, but then he gets an Oscar award when he when he, when he finishes playing in the NBA. Mm-hmm. That's the momentum of greatness that carried him through to accomplish things that he never even could have envisioned when he was an 18, 19 year old player playing basketball. So that's what I mean about uh, momentum will help you transcend the person you were before. Mm-hmm. It'll take you beyond what even your mind or your efforts in the moment can do. Mm-hmm. So take that and, and, and take your momentum and let it take you wherever you want to go. But you, in order to do that, you need to do those things consistently. Mm-hmm. You need to pick up speed, pick up pace, get that, get that going and then mm-hmm. see where the rest will take you. Uh, right now, I am, um, I've lived in a little bit of momentum, mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I'm trying to do those things more consistently again. I want to see where I'll be, I'll be in the next few years. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I, I love that. So there's, there's one thing I really want to harp on because I feel like, you know, you mentioned sacrifice being important. And sacrifice is definitely important. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about preference versus necessity because not everything that needs to get done, you want to do, but is necessary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going to law school and everything that you've done up until that point, like even I've lived with you, I know you've worked jobs that maybe you didn't want to work, but you know, if rent is gonna get paid or food is gonna get put on the table or this is gonna happen, this is necessary. So it's not about preference. Can you talk a little bit about preference versus necessity and what you think about that? And give me a couple examples of times, let's just talk say in university where you know, there were things that you had to do, but you didn't want to do. Wow, that's an interesting one, man. Um... I'm just trying to think about you know situations in my life where I did things that I, I didn't necessarily want to do, um, but I had to do them. Mm-hmm. I think we could talk about people for a little bit when mm-hmm. it comes to things that are yeah sure yeah let's do that it's necessary let's do that. So I think that the way I would frame this is like I, the the hardest thing for me is like when not being able to be in certain situations to put myself in situations where I wouldn't be able to be successful mm-hmm. or um, you know being able to pinpoint you know things that you do because you like doing them, but they're not actually getting you any closer to the goals that you have, mm-hmm. right? So I think a lot of the things that we do, that we prefer to do, they're actually a matter of comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel, I feel good when I do this, mm-hmm. you know? I feel good some nights when I decide to just kind of like, you know what, I'm just gonna take a break from what I have going on. Mm-hmm. That's important. But I also think that like there's times where you find like, there's places you go each day that don't bring you anywhere closer to your goals, mm-hmm. you know? There's things, you do each day that I don't really think that you that are necessary to accomplish your goals. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I was actually going to think about, and that along those lines, is necessary versus sufficient. Mm-hmm. This is like a classic like LSAT thought process, right? Mm-hmm. Some things are sufficient for an outcome to mm-hmm. happen, right? Other things are necessary for an outcome to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think about life in, in those terms where it's just like, you know, you can work hard, right? Like, working hard, I think, has, has been a baseline, has been necessary for me to accomplish the things that I do. It's almost like a precondition. Like, there, yes. there, like if you use university as an example, there are certain classes you can't get in without having this course, but the course doesn't guarantee that you're going to succeed in that course, but if you don't have this course, you will not succeed in this course. That, I can almost guarantee you. Yeah. So, even if you use that, and you said, you know, comfort, like, comfort to me is almost like stagnation, like, I'm not moving because I'm comfortable. And if you're saying momentum, like you said, momentum presupposes movement. I should have been moving for me to gain momentum. I can't gain momentum if I'm stagnant or in an area of comfort, mm-hmm. correct? 
So then if I'm so if I'm going to use that and like you said, like if we're talking about hard work, like you said is like it's you said it's sufficient or well it's necessary. It's like necessary. you you need it's a baseline. Like if yeah. you don't have that, you can't get anything else. Mm-hmm. Are there also other like precursors or not even pre- preconditions you can say that are necessary outside of hard work? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, 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 in, in the great words of you know, one of my, my favorite rappers, you know, de- dedication, uh-huh. right? Hard work plus patience. Mm-hmm. These are things that like you, you without without them, it's really hard, you mm-hmm. know, to get to where you want to go. To do it over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I think that like when you take a step back and you start to think about okay, like what it is, like what do I have to do to get where I have to? Go? I, my older brother always tells me like, you know, you might be able to to get by at school, mm-hmm. right? But in law school, when you're marked on a curve, mm-hmm. and if you know how the curve works in law school, essentially, pretty much it keeps everyone in that B range. Mm-hmm. And only a select few students can achieve a higher than a B. Mm-hmm. And that means you must do better than your peers to do so. And then there are a select few students that don't actually meet the standard of the rest of their peers, and they are subject to a lower grade than a B or a C, some mm-hmm. of those ranges. And I think that he's always thought to say, he said, listen, like, Without hard work, you can't even guarantee yourself mm-hmm. of being in this class. You could work as hard as you want and, and, and get a B. Mm-hmm. But the day you decide not to work hard, the day you decide to drop the ball on something, the day you decide to think that, oh, I don't really need to be dedicated to whatever this dream is, mm-hmm. that's when failure is imminent. So I think that um, you've got to start to look at you know, whatever your goals are. Because I, I think precursors are, you know, hard work is a precursor for things that I've accomplished in my life. Mm-hmm. But other things, you might have a completely different situation going on where what you need to be is consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that finding out exa- exactly what it is that you need that's necessary. Because we could do the things that are sufficient. Remember, things that are sufficient don't guarantee an outcome. But failing to do what's necessary will ensure mm-hmm. failure. Mm-hmm. Right? So thinking about life in that, in that from that point of view, it's like, okay... You can like show up to school every day, right? Mm-hmm. That's sufficient to mean that you might graduate. It doesn't mean you learn. It doesn't mean you're learning anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you pulled anything from it. But you have to apply yourself when you're there. That's necessary, ne- necessary prerequisite mm-hmm. to be able to accomplish anything that you do at school. So I think mm-hmm. I, I use that school example, but I think a lot of the times in life we do a lot of things that we that are sufficient. Yeah, this should do this for me. This should help me get closer to my goal. But we fail to do the things that are absolutely necessary, and every single time you start looking, you look around, and you're like, "Why didn't I? Why didn't I? Why wasn't I able to do this? Why did I make that mistake?" And it's like because you're not you're not considering what you need to do. Mm-hmm. You're just doing things that you think you should do. Don't just show up to the gym without purpose. But you also said something that was very important, like uh, a couple minutes back, where you said, "I need to know my goals because if I don't have goals, then hard work is not directed at anything. I can't be consistent at anything if I don't have a goal mm-hmm. because then I'm almost like walking around aimlessly or." Rather than rather than directing where I'm going, I'm drifting. Right. I'm kind of letting like the wave or the current take me where I need to go. So like that, I think is very important because again, like you knew you wanted to go to law school. So once you know, once I know where I want to go, then the question is, what do I need to leave behind to get there? Because I can't bring everything with me. So if I'm going to say, if I'm because you know, hard work is like a trendy. People say I'm a hard work or grind has been like a trendy thing. People say I'm on my grind or I'm grinding. I'm doing I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But if you don't know, if, if, if you don't have a vision of where you want to go, then your grind is not directed towards anything. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're honestly, I, I, actually, I wouldn't even say you're better off. 
not not grinding and grinding at something that's not going to get you anywhere or would you they're all, those are almost the same things because one guy is working really hard and he's running around in circles and one guy's just standing still and by the time the other guy's done running around in circles he's dizzy because he doesn't know where to go he's moved in the same spot he's like you said used momentum or he's used speed to get around but he hasn't really made any any i guess you could say distance right, right. you're standing in the same spot you're running around in circles so how how important was it for you to know that say you wanted to go to law school because let's 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 say let's say you didn't know you wanted to go to, you didn't know you wanted to go into law school because i speak with a lot of like high school kids you know in high school you're you're asked like what do you want to do what do you want to do and a lot of kids don't know and i feel like as time goes by more and more kids don't know what they want to do but they're taught you know you need to work hard you need to be consistent you need to do these things but it's difficult for me to do these things if i don't know where my effort is directed at so if you if we say put you in their shoes where you know you're coming out of you're coming out of high school you don't know if you want to go into law or not you kind of know that maybe university is what you want to do because that's where maybe your friends are or you know you need to get a higher level of education because if i use your example your parents didn't get a level of uh, a higher level of education and you want to at least do that because they worked so hard to get you here what would your thought process be i know it's speculative but what would your thought process be to the person who's coming out of high school has no idea what they want to do you know teachers are saying go to university university is going to be like this and i'm sitting here thinking well i'm not a hard worker i'm not consistent um i don't know what i want to do and i'm kind of just standing here idle while other people are furthering their careers or going to where they want to go because even if i use malton just as an example like i only know a handful of people that went on to university or it doesn't even have to be university actually went and tried to explore at the very least like what was possible for them other people was kind of like well i know i don't want to do this you know it's always i know i don't want to do this i know i don't want to do this i know i wouldn't be good at this so like what what would that thought process you think maybe be for you if you didn't know that law was what you wanted to go into and you kind of just stood there like well it's either i go to university or i don't I think that's that's when life gets interesting. Mm -hmm. It's kind of difficult to to be able to pinpoint exactly, you know, sometimes what it is you're gonna do or exactly where you're gonna end up. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes what we what we fail to do is we what we choose to do is focus on the end goal, mm -hmm. and we stop thinking about the things that, that help you get there. So I think I'll, I'll leave you with this analogy, which is, you know, shoot for a grouping, not for a target, mm -hmm. right? So it, when I was in army cadets, you would have a, 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 a dot the size of this, mm -hmm. okay? And the whole goal was to try to hit that dot consistently. Mm -hmm. Well, to try to hit in the middle, the very middle of the group. Mm -hmm. So we, we used to call it uh, grouping sh uh, shooting. Then there was target shooting, where there was like the mini dot, mm -hmm. and then a bigger round, uh, 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 there was like a, a circle around it, and a, a bigger circle around that one, a bigger circle around that one. Mm -hmm. And the whole goal was to get as close to the very middle of that as possible. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, right, it's hard to shoot for target practice mm -hmm. when you don't know exactly what your target is, mm -hmm. right? So when you go through, through, through your shooting progression, it's always your, the butt placement of the rifle, mm -hmm. right, sitting right here comfortably in, 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 within your shoulder and your, your breastplate. Mm -hmm. Then it's your face tilts towards, it's the placement of your arm, it's the rest of your body in the prone position. It's a deep breath before you fire. And I think sometimes what people do is they don't know what to do, so they don't pick the rifle up. So they don't shoot. They don't shoot. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying because they don't know where the target is. They don't mm -hmm. know what the target is. But sometimes I think what we need in this life is grouping shootings. So grouping shooting is you have that ball, just a big circle. Mm -hmm. And all you're trying to do is 
get the rounds as close to each other as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay? So rather than trying to hit the very center, perfect target, now what you're trying to do is in five to ten shots, how close can I get these bullets within each other? Mm -hmm. Because what does that mean? That means this person is able to hit a start target consistently. Mm -hmm. So then the biggest goal is this. Sometimes you might not know exactly what you're shooting for. Sometimes you, you wake up at days and you don't know if being a lawyer is what you want to do. You don't know if being a policy analyst is what you want to do. You don't know if being an Olympic athlete is what you want to do or if starting a, a running program for kids in your community is. Mm -hmm. But guess what you have to do every single day for you to ever figure it out? You gotta shoot for a grouping. Mm -hmm. You gotta go through the progressions again breathing, holding your position, firing, trying to get as close to the same thing you did the day before as possible. Mm -hmm. And then do it again the next day. So shoot for a grouping when you don't have a target. And when you finally get a target, because of the progression that you've done over and over again, you'll be able to hit it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in life you don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're gonna do it. Do things consistently every day. Go through your progression every single day. And when you finally get your opportunity, when you finally are able to get into a room with people that are at a job you always wanted, when you when you finally get into that room with that famous person that you, you've dreamed of doing a, a, a video for or a music video for, when you finally get into that space where you're like, wow, I now have a crowd that I can share my goals and my dreams and aspirations with or achieve what I want to do, then you'll be able to hit your target. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I'll leave you. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say this to you, my friend. For a very long time, I didn't know exactly what my target was. I was shooting for a grouping. Mm -hmm. I love that. So actually, I want to. I actually, I want to end on this. List. So, you know, you've you've you finished you finished high school. You finished university. You've done your masters. You're now in law school. So I want you to, you know, as as in like a short message, a young young Joshua Wallace, whose parents have come from Jamaica. You know, immigrants, like you said, blue collar, PSW, worked very hard for you to get to where you are. You've gone through high school, you lived in Malton, you've gone to Guelph, you've gone to a different city in Guelph, now you're in Toronto, you've done your master's, you've done law school. Now, obviously, times are not always bright. You've definitely had your dark spots. Now, what would you say to a young Joshua Wallace before this has all happened, who maybe didn't foresee, you know, doing the master's at Ryerson, even coming to Ryerson, because like you said, Ryerson didn't even have a law school when you were in high school or when you were in university. Ryerson law wasn't even in the picture until you did your master's at Ryerson. So... You know, to the young Joshua Wallace who's gone through what he's gone through in high school, university, even in a master's, what words would you leave with him? Words of encouragement, words of determination, like what words would you leave with, with that, Josh? This is, this is a question I ask myself all the time. Like, if I had the opportunity, what would I have told myself when I was 12 years old going to Darcel, Darcel Senior Public School? What would I have told myself when I was you know, 17, graduated from high school? Um, even the beginning of university. And honestly, if there's one thing I can say is, is, is believe in yourself and why not you, mm -hmm. right? So often we end up in situations where it's like we're second-guessing ourselves. We're wondering, oh, who's, is, am, am I qualified for this? Is, am I supposed to be in this position? And I think the biggest thing that I learned when I was at school was there's lots of people here. There's lots of people in jobs and positions that started off when they weren't qualified to be there. So... Believe in yourself, and why not you? Love that. Thank you. Yeah, amazing conversation. Yeah, that's cut. That was lovely. That was lovely.